from Cobalt headquarters in San Francisco. This is Humans of InfoSec, a show about real people, their work, and its impact on the information security industry. My name is Caroline Wong, and I'd like to introduce today's guest, my friend and colleague, Dave Tyson. Dave and I met when we were both working on the global information security team at eBay. And yesterday, we were just reminiscing about the sort of epic European road trip uh, that we did about 10 years ago. Um, I think on that trip, we visited, amongst other places, Amsterdam, London, Tallinn, Estonia, Drylinden, Budapest. Um, it was really good times, and I'm so glad that we were able to have those experiences together. Uh, Dave Tyson started his security career in physical security and transitioned into information security in the late 90s. In 2007, Dave published the book Security Convergence, which addresses the coming together of these two fields. He has since been a CSO and CISO many times over, including at the city of Vancouver at a time when Vancouver was the host city for the 2010 Winter Olympics, Pacific Gas and Electric Company, and SC Johnson. Dave, welcome to our podcast. Thanks very much, Carolyn. Great to be here. So Dave, the first question I have for you is, how did you get started in security? Well, it's kind of a it's kind of a long-winded story, but the short story is uh, I started my career as a bodyguard working for movie stars and rock and roll bands, and and kind of worked my way up through the physical security industry and over about 15 years, and and really that was uh, came right out of high school. I had a I had a couple of black belts in karate, and and security just seemed like a great thing to do, and and so that's how I got started, and. And eventually, I ended up in cybersecurity. Cool. Now, when you were doing bodyguard work, did you did you work with any of your favorite personal celebrities? Yeah, you know that's the that is the uh, the, the question which is always comes up is who'd you work with and, and, and were they great? And and I you know the best one I think I I would say I mean there were many great ones there were many that were challenging but probably Robin Williams was the best. He just constantly. Uh, making you laugh and it's very hard to be a security professional when you're when you're when your tears running down your face that's incredible that's absolutely incredible um cool so so what inspired you to transition from a phys, from a focus on physical uh to digital security it seems like that was probably a pretty fun job uh and that you had the qualifications for it why did you why did you make a move well, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I over I heard a speaker from Washington State named Kirk Bailey, who was speaking at our ASIS Security Association meeting in Vancouver, and he to, he was talking about this in 1998, this idea of cybersecurity and all of the potential challenges that were happening. And after 15 or 16 years in the physical security world, this sounded exciting, and it sounded like a field that I didn't really know anything about, but. I figured, you know, I could learn, and, and though I'd always shied away from computers, it seemed like the, the concerns were the same that we've been fighting in physical security for years. It was, I was hearing people talk about people breaking into things and protecting them, protecting the assets, and, the, and things like access control and authorization and authenticating who someone is all sounded familiar, and it really, at that point, I, I was sort of at that point of saying, 
you know, this is, I've, I've done this part, this physical security thing. I, I get it. I've been a licensed investigator for 16 years. I, you know, I've done much of this. This sounded really sort of that new and cutting edge. And I didn't think, based off of the pace of what was happening with computers, that it was going to go away in any short time. So that's kind of what prompted me to look into it after hearing Kirk Bailey speak. And, and from there, uh, the rest is history. Very cool. Now, now, you literally wrote the book on the convergence between physical and digital security. Are there, are there any key takeaways that you can share with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the idea that, that physical and cyber security, I mean, they're effectively concerned about the same thing. In this day and age, you know, 10 years on from writing that book, We've proven that out. We, we don't call it convergence anymore. We call it enterprise security risk management. But the, the, the tenants are the same, that the risks uh, to organizations are both physical and cyber. And in many cases, they've actually converged. You know, at eBay, you know, we had people dropping USB sticks with malware on them in the parking lot, and people would pick them up and bring them into the building, and we'd try to stop them from plugging into their computers. Here you have a physical asset or physical risk that can bring an electronic or a cyber impact. And so these are the kinds of things that have been going on in business for years. So when you think about it, the risks have converged and you have only one set of, of one pool of dollars to spend. And so at the city of Vancouver, I went to our leadership team after we got announced for the Olympics and they said, well, you've got physical security, you've got cyber, you've got the Olympics. And I said, well, I can't manage them all separate. I have to converge them together. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lower your risk by, by looking for the gaps in between these two fields. I'm going to reduce the cost to operate the overall security program. And I'm going to, I'm going to take about half as much of your time as I used to take. And that got them very excited. And then when we actually showed them a reduction in risk, and, and by simply focusing on the simplest of things, find where the real risk exists, reduce it, and, and, and just get out there and tell people about it. And we didn't, we didn't have a, a playbook to work from. We just worked on what works for the organization. Yeah. And that was really it. It was just, what can we do to reduce risk and make the organization safer? No, yeah. no, no turf and no... No argument, just what can we do? And that's what we focused on. That's cool. You know, in the time when we were working together, I definitely noticed that your approach has always been extremely practical and action-oriented. Uh, and I've always appreciated that about your work style. You know, it's funny you mentioned the USBs in the eBay parking lot. The other thing that I'll never forget about working for eBay during that time is every once in a while, the CEO would get like a bomb threat uh, and we'd have to evacuate. And it was like, you know, I don't think I thought about it in quite the same way at the time, um, but perhaps that's another pretty good example of, you know, physical and cybersecurity coming together. Yeah, I, and, and there, we could talk about them for hours, honestly, Caroline. There's lots of examples out there where this, this kind of stuff goes on. One of the ones that we dealt with in those days was in, in Eastern Europe, we had, we had our, our call centers and we had people who would try to bribe our call center employees to get a copy, of, to get their RSA token. And they would offer them more money than, um, than they would make in a year as a call center representative. And so that, that, that user ID, password, and RSA token could become literally the back door to our organization. So again, a physical security 
risk that can create a cybersecurity vulnerability. Very cool. Now, Dave, you have a really sort of broad perspective, both in terms of sort of aligning the physical and the digital. You've also, as a native Canadian, currently living in Texas, you've got a wealth of global experience. Can you share with us, you know, your thoughts on any differences in how various geographies and cultures view and approach security? Absolutely. I mean, I, I've learned so much about working globally and, you know, in probably 75 countries I've been. And, and I'll tell you that some of the problems, the business challenges of operating there create the, the need to have to do security in a, in a different way. In northern Nigeria, one of the companies I was with, we had no simple places for people to go and connect to the internet. So they had to be able to use a tool and leverage free, insecure Wi-Fi at, at internet cafes they might come across once every two or three days. And in that case, we had to, we had to go with a very specific new type of technology that nobody had used, piloted yet in the organization. Or in India, where we're selling our products off the back of you know, tuk-tuks as they race through the street, but the, but the seller might only have one of each of our products. And in that case, they want real-time sales numbers coming off the back of a tuk-tuk using public Wi-Fi and, and uh, insecure equipment. And so, I mean, and you can't just say, I'm going to set up an expensive uh, infrastructure in a place like this where, where business hap happens by the minute or by the hour every single day. And so, yeah, you know, different, these different environments do challenge us to come up with, with, with cool and and effective solutions. And I think that by focusing on, you know, what I call is ruthless focus on the business and in terms of how do I help this business compete and be, and, and you know, get, create that competitive advantage, it sort of drives us to come up with sort of, uh, I guess you would call them solutions that are geographically relevant. Cool. You know, I think that's a really valuable perspective, which is to consider security with a business lens to consider how you might put a strategy together that's going to help the business. I think that, you know, there are some folks in the industry who, you know, are kind of about security for security's sake, but it sounds to me like that's never really been your approach. Well, I would say that I have learned this over time. I, I think that I think my learning really began uh, arriving at eBay. This sort of wide-eyed Canadian showing up here in, in the in the Silicon Valley and going, "Wow, this is this crazy place with all of these bad guys trying to attack it." And I think I, I think my learning really began there. But as in short order, I learned very quickly that this is, you know, you really have to focus on the business. And when I got to PG&E, you know, huge power company, and I, you know, I listened to what the executives were saying, and they're saying, hey, but every time one of our trucks stops at a, you know, a person's house to check out the power levels or, or do a, a service stop, it takes eight or nine minutes because they have to boot up the computer, connect remotely back to PG&E through a, a, a modem and any number of old equipment. And by, by, by listening to that and figuring out, we were able to come up with a more secure, faster system. And that enabled to cut the, the truck stop time by over two minutes. Now, when we go back to the business and say, we've got a more secure method that's going to actually reduce your truck stop time, you can now spend more time on other ways to service the customer. Let me just tell you that that, 
that executive was my newest best friend. And by focusing on business, creating business value, that actually helps the company be better. And I think that those are the kinds of things that I'd really try to get involved in because that's that partnership, that trusted advisor status you want to have. The next time you go to their door with a security issue and you need funding or you need a, a change, they're going to at least listen to you. Where some of our colleagues, you and I, have had difficulty just being getting a seat at the table. Yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. You know, I think that um, I will attend a security conference uh, and hear commentary, you know, both from conference attendees as well as the speakers. You know, sometimes referring to executives as dumb or they don't get it, or uh, even you know, development and engineering teams. Um, and I'm always a little off put when I hear that type of commentary, um, and it just indicates to me that I think there's there's some sort of a disconnect. Dave, do you think that you know, in in your time as a security leader? in all sorts of different security leadership positions, you know, what the industries need from security leadership, do you think that's changed over time? Well, I think that we as security practitioners have realized that our companies are actually starting to feel the pain. And in in some cases, the executives of those companies are feeling the pain of these very public breaches. And I think they've begun to lean on security leaders to provide more strategic level guidance. And that's not equally true across the industry yet. But I think that that ability to speak to the business at the board level has definitely been evolving for the last 10 years. When I moved to California, I think, you know, I didn't even, I don't think I even met a board member at eBay. Um, In my last role, I would have, you know, I would have known them all, right? And so I think in the last decade, we have, definitely gotten the ear of folks. The question really, I think, from the journey that all cybersecurity leaders should be on is one that has that partnership with leadership. And that comes from having that business expertise, that connection, that tenacity to know the business you're in and figure out how do you help it succeed because security for the sake of security, I think is over. You know, we, you, we, a lot of people have said, well, it's not if it's when, you know, you, you get the breach. Okay, that's fine. That's a nice soundbite. But at the end of the day, what are you actually doing to figure out what is the most critical asset to your organization? And what I mean by that is what would you actually be prepared to invest in? And then, now how do I put that, how do I put that in, in terms that you can understand? And so we get away from this idea that the business uh, is, is you know, not, not smart or doesn't understand or is not engaged. I say, if the business isn't engaged, you're not doing a good job of explaining it to them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me too. You know, Dave, you've been a CISO in all sorts of different types of roles. And I feel like one of the interesting parts about being in a role like that is you get exposure to all of these situations and stories that maybe a lot of people never find out about. Um, Are there like one or two juicy stories that you're allowed to share with our listeners today from from your various experience in these these different roles? Well, you know, one you might know about and one you probably don't, but one one you might remember we call the Shanghai Shuffle. That was the, uh, we had a subsidiary business that was public that it had gotten breached and we had to chase bad guys around the world who had 
were trying to extort money out of us. And we ended up tracking them down in China and uh, actually ended up getting all the data back and putting them in jail. So, you know, that was a real experience where we had the opportunity uh, with folks like Matt Henley and yourself and others to really go out there and see what it's like to work against organized crime and other and work with national international regulators and law enforcement. And that was, you know, an amazing experience. We learned a tremendous amount. You know, in, in other cases, I've worked on, you know, breach response events as a consultant where literally you see, um, you know, control of a network has been ceded to, to an adversary and you want to test how bad it is where you'll run a, you'll roll a patch to a, a major piece of equipment on the network and you sit and you wait and you watch the bad guy roll the patch back 15 minutes later. That's how much control they have of the network. We see systems that, I've seen systems that are so bad in terms of vulnerability and stability because they're end of life that the, that the network won't actually, the network team won't actually uh, upgrade them. And then you go to look and you find that the adversary has upgraded them with absolutely no downtime and they use that, to, they leverage that tool, that system to, to uh, you know, to make their way across the network. So I've been amazed, you know, not, a, not as a fan, but certainly been amazed by the technical sophistication of the adversaries we've faced. And some of the experiences we've had around the world have been, you know, just absolutely amazing. And, and I, I guess I am, I am never, never surprised now when I hear about the next greatest uh, level of sophistication in, in an attack against someone, unfortunately. Yeah, very cool. I'll uh, I'll also never forget that particular situation. You know, from what I remember, I was sort of like in a different role in the office, but I remember we were taking like 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. shifts, you know, 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. shifts. I mean, we had toothbrushes in the office and cots, and it was really an all-hands-on-deck <laughs> Uh, kind of scenario, uh, something that I'll, I'll certainly never forget. But it was a, it was an experience that probably most people will never have. But you know, I can remember sitting in Seoul, Korea, on the first day of uh, Chinese New Year, which is the largest la- person migration on from on Earth, and we're telling everybody. Matt, Matt Henley and I are telling folks they can't leave, and yeah, we did uh, CEO and president of eBay updates every four hours for five days. I mean, I don't think we slept nine hours in the first five days. So yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience and uh, I'm just happy we got a good result. Yeah, me too. You know, Dave, I, I kind of got so excited about our conversation. I dove right in and I actually skipped over something uh, which I've been meaning to ask. Um, and, and the reason I ask this question, I'm sort of obsessed with people's security origin stories. Um, and, and you told us about how you started out in physical security. Um, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your first role or some of your first roles when you entered cybersecurity? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I actually uh, was trying to get into cybersecurity with effectively no credentials. And so I was hired by a company called the LGS Group, which is a mid, mid-grade uh, IT integrator in Canada that was acquired by IBM. And they hired me because they thought, well, physical security guy, we, he knows about business a little bit, so we can maybe use him to help secure data centers and things of that nature. But right after the IBM acquisition, IBM Global Services acquired us. Um, they sent me off to IBM IT Security Consulting School and then immediately into the field. Y2K was just around the corner, and I found myself in 
wondrous places like Moscow and Amsterdam and London and, and all across the U.S. And so I, I had the opportunity to sort of by trial by fire. But I, I will say, I mean, the first, the first customer site I showed up at, I had to do a business continuity plan uh, set of interviews. And I swear, I actually didn't know what half the stuff meant. I was literally trying to figure out what the what rate arrays meant and a bunch of other things. So I, you know, it was trial by fire. But it, because the hard part about getting into this industry when you're already in the physical security world is that you know there's no place to go to get this stuff in plain English. And literally, I've developed training courses since then because of that very thing. Because people need the ability to be able to get this information. If you don't have a computer science degree, where do you go? Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think that, you know, one of the fascinating themes that I think is emerging from the handful of podcast episodes that we've recorded for Humans of InfoSec is that while the folks I am able to speak with are extremely accomplished at this point in the field, for pretty much everyone, there was a time when they were beginning and they were going through the same trial by fire experience that you're describing where there was all this stuff that they simply didn't know and they just had to figure it out. And I think that's such an interesting thing about the field that, that, that we're in. Now, Dave, for the training that you have developed to help people understand like, hey, you want to work in InfoSec, maybe you don't have a CS degree, what in the heck do these things mean? Is that something that you did? Is that part of your ASIS work? Is that part of your CISO Insights work? Where can folks go to learn more about that? Yeah, excellent question. So I started this off as a, originally as a one-day class for ASIS chapter members because I just wanted to give back and, and give people access to this information. Eventually, and we've delivered it uh, we delivered it for free to a number of folks to try to get some feedback across, over the years. And now we have built it into uh, a new business called CyberEasyLearning.com. And it is where we're going to be delivering programs like this. Uh, cybersecurity for the physical security professional in plain English. We're going to have a program called Protecting Physical Security Systems from Cyber Attacks. Another one which is about selling to the CISO. You know, one of the more interesting things about CISOs these days is that more and more people are having to sell to them, physical security practitioners and others, because the CISO has a much different role than they used to. They've become that protector of the network for, you know, sort of watching the CIOs back with the Internet of Things and other devices that are ending up on the data network. So the, so many folks are trying to sell to them. And uh, so that, that's kind of the first three out of the gate. And uh, we are close to launch on, uh, we're expecting in the next uh, two weeks or so. So the first program's out there, but we already have people sort of banging at the door saying, hey, when's this going to be ready? Because it's, uh, it's, uh, it really is a one-of-a-kind opportunity from somebody who, like me, who's, who started off in, the, in that area and can, you know, sort of speaks both languages. Fantastic. Yeah, just for our listeners, and we'll include this in the show notes as well, that's cybereasylearning.com. Dave, that's awesome. Um, I'm always surprised at how fast the time goes. Um, I have a final question for you, which is from your wealth of experience as a CISO, working with CISOs, what kind of key takeaways and advice do you have 
for folks who may be CISOs today, but may be struggling, or folks who might aspire to be in that type of a role one day? Well, I would say the first thing is the, the ruthless focus on the business. You have to know the business as well, if not you know, better in some cases than, um, than the people working in the business area. The more you understand about business and how your company makes money and creates value and maintains a competitive advantage, the more as a security practitioner, you're going to be able to help protect those things. And without knowing that, it's going to be very hard to get time on that on an executive's calendar. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, you have to be, you know, tenacious and go after things. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's the simplest of things, but, you know, we often send, tend to work on some of the most advanced things without really looking at the things that really make a huge difference. The things I call sort of, you know, the, those core fundamental things. People are often worried about, you know, patching um, and getting the patches up to date and getting identities, you know, fixed and with better, better, you know, uh, passwords and stuff. And I go, well, if you don't own the identity, if you can't lock it down, uh, what's the what's the focus on the patch? Because at the end of the day, the bad guy, if he controls your identity, can roll the patch back. So that that tenacious attack against the fundamentals. I think is is critical so that you get it helps you in the prioritization process. Um, and then, you know, finally, you know, you have to be able to speak the language of business. You have to have a strong finance background. You have to have a strong legal background in terms of whether, what are the legal matters of the day for the countries you operate in. If you op, if your, if your business operates in Russia and China and you don't understand the impacts to, of new privacy impacting legislation there, you're going to have a tough time. It's going to be harder to make business cases when you don't have necessarily the strong financial background or the process understanding. So all of those, I think, are critical sort of foundational components for being a successful CISO in this day and age. Phenomenal. Dave, thank you so much. Uh, this has been so much fun for me, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you when you visit California in a couple weeks. Great, Carolyn. Thanks very much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Our pleasure. Humans of InfoSec is brought to you by Cobalt, a pen testing as a service company. You can find us on Twitter at Humans of InfoSec.